You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. All right. What is up, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of Cure to Consumption here exclusively on the Hayes Radio Network. I am your host, Lance Lambert. It's always a pleasure. Love catching up with you guys. I'm pretty excited about what we have in store today. You know, we're all about reaching out to those individuals that really care about the industry. You know, those that are conscientious about what they're doing and always lead with education. Rather be educating people on the plant or on the process or on the people. How we need so many more people in this industry. Again, plenty of people already here, but you guys don't understand. Even compared to other categories, there's so many opportunities. Medical, science, logistics, security, retail, sales, marketing, like myself. I mean, it's really one of those limitless situations. So we love having the people on that are all about that and all about giving back. Because at the end of the day, as we always say, it's all about good vibes, right? So I'm kind of stoked. Our guest that we're having on today, her name is Bella McCreary, and she is actually the owner and operator for High Maintenance Trim and Company. And this is kind of a cool scoop, you guys. So for those that don't know, fill you in a little bit. If you're any kind of operation from small scale, I mean, if you're only pushing a few hundred pounds per take down to thousands of pounds, there's a lot of process. There's a lot of things that you have to get done. Some we enjoy, some not so much, but we know growing's only half the battle. You still got to dry it. You got to cure it. You got to trim it somewhere along the ways too. So a lot of people might've heard of a couple different slag terms. Uh, the trimigrants is one that I'm familiar with growing up in NorCal. You have these people who migrate, all, all people. Again, this is not by any means a derogatory term. This is this is very much just an industry term. All types of people, um, in many instances from around the world, come to the Emerald Triangle and literally come up for the season and trim, right? The later end of the year. I mean, there's a few times you can come in, depending on how, how soon you drop the, the girls in the ground, as we say. But uh, these individuals come in and they make a huge difference. I mean, we need these people in order to get this wonderful plant out to you, the consumer. And uh, let's give a little story. I was out speaking uh, for a wonderful friend, Mary, uh, who now works with uh, another friend, Steve D'Angelo, at The Last Prisoner Project. Uh, she also runs a show. She's based out of Hawaii. She runs a show uh, called the Maui Cannabis Convention. And she invited me out a few years ago. And I ran into a few young ladies that were actually out there hanging out for the event and partying on their way to trimming in NorCal. And they're from uh, Guadalajara and Mexico City. I thought it was so cool. I'm talking to these young ladies and, and they're, they're just so excited to get up to the triangle and love that part of the, of the world. Um, but those are the kind of stories you hear. But we definitely can't do it all on our own. I mean, it's gotten to a point and especially... You know, in this day and age, when people are scaling up, you, you need to have a dependent resource that you can call on 
for help in that regard. So, you know, there's actually solutions that are out there. And there's a few different ones uh, that you might have heard of along the way. And it's definitely an important role. Um, and we're going to talk to Bella, just kind of hear what she has going on. Again, like we always ask, you know, where you got your start, you know, why you do what you do, where your passionate comes from, you know, the way in which you support the industry, the suggestions and recommendations you have, what you have going on, what you have coming up, you know, just those great conversational things. These are things that, you know, again, our producer here, Andrew, he's, he's known me for a minute now. And I'm always having these conversations with my friends anyway. And he's like, dude, why don't you just, why don't you come on and actually have a show where you have these conversations so our listeners can, can cue in as well. And he knows I'm an open book, nothing's proprietary. So that's exactly what we did. And, uh, and again, it's all about having these conversations and just hearing the full scoop, you know, it's definitely something that, you know, it really helps you all because, Again, I love and applaud those of you that are passionate and that support this industry. And you oftentimes are still in that mainstream position. You're still working for that mainstream company. So you're kind of having to support it from behind the scenes. But more and more people are actually, you know, coming around and going, okay, it's time. My state's legal or um, I feel like the country is closer to legalization than ever, or you had that talk with your parents and came out of the proverbial green closet, <laughs> as I like to say. But either way, you came around to saying, you know, I want to take that leap or I'm so close. And those are the individuals that I know tune in and really connect. And they hear these conversations we have and go, I could do that. Like that's, that's a tangible for me. That's something I used to do what that guy did. I used to do what that gal did. And it is scary, you know, to follow your passion. So you guys know I've started three businesses in my time. I'm not not the youngest guy, a bit of an OG. And, um, you know, it, it is scary to do, to take that jump. And so that's something that, you know, if we can motivate you all and, and get you in that right place, that's what matters to us. And so we're going to get into that. Um, Bella, you know, she'll be calling in and just, man, I know she's busy from meeting to meeting so once we get her on, we'll get things going. Um, in the meantime, you know, we always like to touch on the latest news. And again, I want to throw out something that a lot of you might have already gotten the down low on. But man, New York, it's crazy. I always talk about the politics in some of these states. The harder the politics, the longer it takes. But whole okay, other story. we got Bella you on there. I am. Excellent. All right. Bella, welcome to Cure to Consumption. We're so excited to have you on the show this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. Yeah. So my gosh, you know, we've haven't known each other for the longest time, but I have to admit, you know, our first time interacting, um, you know, you just really, I, I was impressed, you know, you could tell straight out of the gate that, you know, you're the type of individual that obviously follows your passion and you're motivated by more uh, than, than these companies we always love ripping on on Wall Street. It's not all about the money for you. It's about making a difference and making an impact in the industry and, and all about good vibes along the way. So so welcome again, if you want to give a little background about you. And we usually start off with how, how you got into it. And I know you're like me. There's a, story behind, <laughs> there's a story behind this story, and I think our statute of limitations are up. So you can go there if you want as well. But tell us a little bit about your background and, and how the road led you to the cannabis industry. Oh, thank you so much, Lance. Thank you for the for the kind words. I, I definitely do have a passion for what I do, and um, 
you know, some people wonder why I work so hard seven days a week. And, you know, when you love what you do, it, it truly doesn't feel like work. As cliche as that sounds, it really is true. Um, prior to the cannabis industry, I actually had a corporate job. I worked for, for a, a big credit card company for about 15 years. I was a project manager. I helped set up call centers, you know, big infrastructure projects. And then my husband and I were just, you know, we liked, we had a little cultivation garden and, and kind of got into it. Um, but before meeting him, actually growing up, I came from a very traditional family that, um, you know, weed and heroin were pretty much on the same list of, yeah. you know, drugs. Sounds like our government. Too, so it was very <laughs> forbidden. Yep. And taboo. And so I, that's how I grew up. And my kids were actually, you know, taught the same things, you know, the, the, the war on drugs. And I was really big into the D.A.R.E. program and all that stuff growing up because we didn't you know, know any better. And then when I met my husband and he kind of started to introduce, you know, introduce me to it and showed me how it helped him and helped others. And I saw a completely, you know, different side of it. And um, I just was blown away that it was so forbidden, you know, prior to that. And so we had our garden and, and he was, you know, really into into the cultivation part. And I just happened to get really good at anything from harvesting and trimming. And sometimes we would go and we would do it for other friends, you know, in the evening. And he said, you know, you're you're really good at this. You should think about doing this as a business. <laughs> yeah, right. I kind of toyed around with the idea. And then um, I think it was right around maybe 2017 or 18 when I really started to um, be a little more involved in the industry and, and specifically in Oakland. And we were going to the you know social equity meetings as those oh, yeah, were kind yeah. of being designed and, and yep. started to really, you know, you know, kind of make friendships and connections and network with other people in the industry. And I just became so um, involved and just appreciative of, what I saw was coming and the community, because, you know, when it, when it was a traditional industry, there was a lot of people that didn't talk too much. You know, we were all underground. Yeah. Yep. And so as everyone started to share their experience and their knowledge and that kind of, I saw the community in it all and the positive aspects of it, it really made me just want to dive in with, you know, and jump in with both feet. And so I did, I started the LLC and I took everything that I kind of learned from corporate and, and, you know, created this business and ancillary business to to all of the the, the cultivators initially it was just you know trimmers yeah. and as we started to get you know build rapport and, and the clients started to really trust us i started to kind of add on services and, and become somewhat of a one-stop shop to where it was the same faces you know security was really big in the beginning i mean it still is really big but you're so used to looking over your shoulder and, and being really discreet about locations and yeah. people you know having access to your facility and i knew i was aware of all of that so I was really big on making sure we had, you know, security and, and background checks and hiring the right people and, you know, to, to provide the good service. And so it just kind of evolved from there. So we started doing packaging and a little bit of garden work and, and labeling um, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, what it is in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. And that's, again, I think it's interesting how you talk. And I remember this, too, in us talking before about the environment you grew up in and how cannabis was, was as far as your household was compared, classified with other schedule ones, just like the government. And it's crazy because while you and I, our generations grew up on the D.A.R.E. program, hashtag thanks, you know, Daryl Gates and Nancy Reagan, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know, our parents grew up on, on the Nixon movement and his, you know, war, and then uh, obviously a silent generation on Anslinger and so on and so forth. But I think it's so interesting how people really took that to heart. And to your point, they never once stopped and thought, you know, this is just a natural plant. It's it's not anything that's processed. I mean, even cocaine is processed with chemicals in order to get that end result. And people just would pigeonhole it because of its scheduling with all these really hardcore drugs, you know, and the stereotypes of it being a, a an a, you know, a, an entry or a gateway drug 
And now it's interesting because it's on the inverse. People are actually saying how it's an exit drug, uh, specifically, you know, with people coping with opioid and heroin addictions. Um, so it's interesting that I, background, you know, right? I mean, that's something that still is just trivial how that wasn't that many years ago for you and I <laughs> that we were having those conversations and being taught those things. So, but um, yeah. yeah. And I even recently I had a conversation with my son, you know, my son's 18 now yeah. and he still sometimes has trouble with it. Like he doesn't, you know, like when if I come home and I smell like it or his friends, yeah. he still has a hard time with it because he was taught that it was wrong for so many years. And so having to have that conversation, like, look, I was wrong. I was raised to have, and I had a certain set of beliefs and I raised you with those certain set of beliefs. And I said, but yes, I'm your, your parent, the ultimate form of authority, but I have the right to change my <laughs> mind and change yep. my beliefs and, and some of my values, you know, as I grow and I evolve and I invite you to do the same and kind of question things sometimes. So it was a very healthy, very, you know, good conversation that I had with him to let him know that, you know, just because something is very black and white, you know, at one point in time doesn't mean it always has to stay that way. Yeah. Very, I couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And so I don't know if it's okay. Is, is there, if we share about the little project you're working on, because the name of that certain thing that you're working on, I, I actually had to share that story the other day. Is that all right? We kind of tease that out a little bit. Absolutely. Okay. All yeah. right. So you're working on a book that, that obviously, you know, discusses a lot of this, but what I really love and having been a writer myself for, well, more so for the better part of seven years, but now I'm way too busy. But um, I appreciate it that much more because I, <laughs> I love the name and what the history is on the name. So if you could jump into that, that's that's what I think the listeners would love and get a <laughs> kick out of, in my opinion. Yeah, so just a, a little bit about the book. So I actually say I had a long six-hour flight from Costa Rica, and having done um, kind of some spiritual work and some meditation, I was very inspired on the flight home, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to you know, start writing a book. And the, the premise of the book is more about, you know, a, a blended family. My husband and I have five kids. We're a blended family. and mm -hmm. kind of the challenges that came with it, but also a lot of the things that you learn along the way. And one of the chapters is called Pig's Feet and Chicken Liver. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for the name Pig's Feet and Chicken Liver is because at one point in time when it was, you know, we were still um, kind of underground and we were, you know, soccer mom and my husband was the football coach and we were doing, you know, living the, the, the suburban life. Yep. And I um, had a hard time sleeping, had really bad insomnia, and I discovered edibles. And I was still at the time, you know, afraid of what people were putting in them, not really knowing too much. And so I started making my own. So I would bake the cookies with the, you know, with the butter, but I would wrap them in foil and put them in Ziploc <laughs> bags, and I would write pig feet or chicken liver on the bag. Oh so that if gosh. the kids went in the freezer, they were going to live right past that. They're looking for popsicles, <laughs> not looking for pig feet. And they would be so disgusted by whatever was written on that bag that they didn't even dare open the bag. And so that's kind of what we did for a long time. And, and because I had to hide it from them, they had no idea that we were kind of living a double life. And it wasn't until actually, I want to say probably in the last year, maybe, that I told my daughter's 23 now that I told her, do you remember how often we used to have pig feet and chicken liver, but you never actually saw me ate them. <laughs> and so that's when so I had to tell the story that. about, you know, I had a job to do as a parent and, yeah. and, and I wanted to do it well. And I wanted to, to be, you know, the kind of the model citizen and still with the old beliefs. And so as they, they got older, I told them, you know, it was taboo once upon a time, but you know, not oh, yeah. anymore. And so I, I wrote a chapter on that and, you know, I called it pig feet and chicken liver. Cause it's the stuff that we wanted to kind of, you know, keep under wraps that people don't want to talk about or see. Yeah. And it's, and it was so common back then. I remember, I think of a, a buddy of mine at one point, his best friend, 
uh, growing up. And I remember, I can't recall what his mom did, but his, his dad was a firefighter. I remember that because, you know, that's just one of those cool jobs you remember. And uh, his folks kept their stash in <laughs> in a cookie jar on the top shelf. So, of course, of course, he found that as a kid. And I'm like, well, it's kind of a dumb place to, <laughs> to hide your stash of all places in a cookie jar when you got two boys at home. But I think it's so clever what you did. And it gives me a, or it gave me a flashback when you told the story before, rather, uh, for some reason, my mom, family tradition, she had always put, we'd, we'd uh, you know, make cookies, but we'd keep the cookies in the freezer to have them kind of crunchy. And I still to this day do it with mm-hmm. the Sausalitos from Pepperidge Farm. I'm a total, I guess even even my cookies are NorCal. I'm a NorCal at heart, but man, those things in the freezer are so much better. I've never put my edibles though. That's one thing that you made me think about because- I'm a fan, and I know a lot of people are apprehensive, but if you microdose, edibles really are conducive for uh, insomnia and, and for relaxation, you know, in the later hours. So that's what oh, a lot of us It was a game changer. It was right? an absolute game changer. And, you know, the, the window of opportunity for me to be able to, like, bake the cookies and air out the house, it was yeah. a very small window. And so when I did bake them, I would bake a batch. And they're so strong that it would just be like a little nibble of cookies, so they would last me forever. And so oh, yeah. I thought, how can I keep these fresh and out of the kids' reach? And I thought, well, the freezer is the best place. But oh my god, if I put those next to the, you know, next to the egg waffles. They're gonna get into them. <laughs> and so then I thought, well, if I just put something really gross on there, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> it's so true. Them. It's so true. Man, I love it. So, so getting into it, I mean, I love for, I also love the name. We, we aren't about plugs here, but I am a marketing guy. So I always get into names, but I love the high maintenance. So where did you, where was the epiphany on, on the way you named your business? Because I always like, even my friends know when I'd see something or, okay, I admit it, someone, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that individual so HM. And my friends always knew what I was saying, because that was just like the code yeah. for, I, I can't stand high maintenance. I'm about good vibes. Be honest, be straightforward, be yourself. And then, I, and again, maybe that's why I'm always going, man, I wish I was back up in NorCal because SoCal is kind of known for a bit of that pretentious Kardashian meets the hills kind of mentality down here. So, um, but, it, but it's such a clever name for what your company is focused on now. So how did that come about? Well, it was, it was actually, um, there's two reasons for that. We were trying to think of a name for the business. And the first name, actually, because we were trying to figure out something that had the word, you know, trim in it. Yeah. And the first one, I kind of pictured the logo where it, it was it was detrimental. And it was like the small D-E and then the big word trim. Oh. And then I thought, because, you know, trimming is such a detrimental part of the business. Oh, yeah. And my friend said, no, that sounds really negative. I don't think you want to name it that. So we kept thinking. I'm like, well, it's such an important part that people just forget about. But, you know, someone's got to trim it. It's not something that any other cultivators could really skip unless you're yeah. going to, you know, wax it. But that's not really, the trimming's not a, a piece of the puzzle that you can get rid of. And I said, I know, and it's the part that everyone hates. It's such just a high maintenance job. <laughs> and we started laughing. And then it, I think it was right on that time. My husband was saying like, oh my God, you're so high maintenance. You've got all these, you know, rules that you want to run the business like, because I said, <laughs> I, want to, I want to run it somewhat corporate, but not too corporate. Yeah. I still want to have, you know, fun with it. And so when we were talking about the business and he had said it not too long after we, I had said, this is such a high maintenance part of the job. It's so tedious. And then it just kind of stuck. And um, at first it was high maintenance uh, harvest and that just didn't sound right. And then I don't even remember how we came up with the Trimco, but then it just kind of had a nice ring to it. and, And then we kept it. And then the logo, actually, because I was born and raised in, in Oakland, California, so it kind of, the yes. top of my logo has the Oakland tree, which is part of the mm-hmm. city of Oakland logo. 
And then we just put the little bonsai scissors, the little shrimp scissors kind of at the bottom to create the, the logo. And I think it took us, I think we had the whole logo and the name and everything put together probably within five days. It didn't take us very long from oh there. Oh my gosh. And we talked about it too. Again, you know, I know a lot of our conversations for the listeners, a lot of our conversations are centric to California, but admittedly that's where I came up and growing up in NorCal. So, and so much of the culture and craft started here, but that's one thing that impressed me too is, you know, your uh, connections to Oakland being that that really has been, you know, the epicenter for this industry through and through. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when, when all of the product was coming down uh, back, uh, pre-legalization, so in the legacy days, I'll say, um, all of that was coming down through Oakland and Oakland was that major hub for distribution. And I don't mean just California. I mean, there's a reason why Sour Diesel got so popular in New York, but it all came down and funneled through Oakland. And then fast forward to, you know, Prop P and then eventually Prop 215, you know, medical uh, use, which we passed and uh, implemented in 1996 in the state. That, that again was, I mean, Oakland's the home of Harborside and a lot of the individuals that were a part of that movement. I remember taking a friend who uh, he was getting his medical card and we actually went to a doctor's office in Oakland. This was late 90s. This is before the proverbial cat was out of the bag, you know, and was still really used primarily for, um, for truly traditional medicinal reasons. Um, but this tie to Oakland, I, th- I think it speaks volumes on you know, where you're coming from and kind of knowing that because again, going from legacy or underground to legal and having that connection does kind of bring a level of clout, right? To what you do. It does. And actually, you know, I can actually share, I can go a little bit deeper with, with the connection to Oakland also. So we moved, um, we moved out of Oakland probably when I was about maybe 16 or 17. We, we lived in a pretty, pretty rough neighborhood in, in, in East Oakland. And so it wasn't uncommon to hear, you know, gunshots. Yep. And so, at one point, we actually did get some bullets come through our, our house, and I think that's when my dad said, "This is it. You know, we've got to go. I don't. I don't want to go." And it was right around the time we had, you know, we knew friends that had been killed, and there was just, there was just, it was just a really hard, you know, bad time. And I remember when we left, and I just had such a bad taste in my mouth, like the history and, and everything that had happened. I never wanted to go back to Oakland. I remember telling myself, you know, I never want to go back to the ghetto. I never want to go yeah. back. To, to, to any of that. Like, I just want to leave that in my past. And it was just, you know, bad memories, hurtful memories, but bad memories. And amazingly enough, the, the plant healed in more than one way. In 2017, I started, that's when I started to get calls from friends and said, hey, it's going to get legalized. You should look into the permits. I know you've started businesses before, partner with us. And I said, I don't know, I don't really. And that was the first yeah. time that I started to go, you know, back into Oakland because I would drive through, maybe hit the freeway, but I never really hung out there anymore. I just kind of left it in my past and I really genuinely never wanted to return. And so going back there and starting a business there and thriving and connecting with other people and helping other people, you know, I was in, you know involved with quite a few people helping them along with the equity program. And um, I think that just was healing on a whole different level that I yeah. had never imagined. And it was, you know, because cannabis, not the actual consumption part, but just coming back to my roots. And remembering what it was like in the community and the people and coming back to actually start something positive and great and to come back and start a business and, and provide jobs and yeah. to leave the, the bad memories and come back and create new beginnings was just, you know, such a, um, a, a nice chapter to start in my life. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's so great hearing that. And again, the other thing I love is, you know, your background as an individual. I mean, we, I think we talked about this on our call before too. You know, a lot of people point out, 
you know, the, the lack of diversity in so many industries and cannabis doesn't have it perfect. We're, we're working on a lot of things, you guys. So stay tuned with us. But, you know, the fact that 36% of the leaders in this industry are female, you know, CEO and C-suite, you know, which the only higher, I think, as far as category is real estate, which is awesome too. Um, but not just that, being a, a, a female CEO coming from a diverse background and being able to have that voice and that influence. And to your point, bring more people into the industry. And I guess that kind of gets us right into the next stage, um, you know, of this workforce you have and what you do. Because before you came on, you know, I was explaining a little bit of history, uh, <laughs> kind of like you said, you know, trimming's that necessary evil. I mean, everyone, I, I sit and watch YouTube videos while I trim, you know, while I trim my stuff. And even then it's kind of tedious and takes forever. And that's just with a few pounds, you know, so it's always been one of those things. And so I explained to the viewers, you know, uh, there's several terms, but one of them is, is trimigrants. And I was trying to help them understand, you know, it's not a derogatory term. It's just an explanation of these individuals that historically would come into the triangle uh, seasonally to do this work that is such a necessity in order to get this flower to the front line. But to your point, you know, this is where you're coming in and, and this is, this is the legal age. I mean, that whole underground and, and again, the, what you and I are familiar with of yesteryear, like now it needs to be legitimate. These individuals, especially in California, for those that aren't in California don't know, it is one of the strictest, one of the, this is the third uh, hardest state to do business in. So if you can imagine the challenges, but I remember owning a business, you know, the workman's comp and, you know, so you have the insurance and the taxes and all the rules and regulations and it's very strict. So obviously, you know, you're bringing something that was so underground in, in catering to mainstream because more people are coming out of the shadows and more people have legal operations. So how, how is that for you? I mean, as far as bringing these folks in, are a lot of those people like us where they're coming from that background, where they used to be the ones who would make the proverbial migration into the triangle or into the, the grow markets. And now they're also trying to segue over to, you know, to the legal side of things. Um, I have a little bit of both, actually. I have, you know, if, if someone really wants to get into the to the cannabis industry, it'd be really hard to come in at any other level. You know, you don't yeah. just kind of come in and say, I want to be a, you know, the head cultivator or I want to, you know, <laughs> it's the trimmer kind of is the entry level mm -hmm. um, position. So sometimes I get people that um, I actually have a couple of people that have moved here from out of state. And I, you know, I tell them, you know, if you've got the work ethic and if you're coachable and you've got good customer service skills, I can teach you all things we you know, yeah. so I have some people that actually have, have, you know, moved here because they want to be a part of the industry and they want to learn. And so I train them up. And then on the other side, I do have some that have um, come that they've been trimming for, you know, 15 years, 10 years, five years or whatever. And they come from, from the traditional market. Um, and, and I have, you know, the, there's also the dark side of the industry also where there are some operators that, you know, haven't been so kind to trimmers, there's some horror stories. Yeah, oh Not gosh. like Murder Mountain. <laughs> no, stories. but those are a whole other documentary. <laughs> like that's, that's you no, know, but but there are horror stories where people yeah. don't get paid. Like I get people that come work for me, and they just tell me about not getting paid or yeah. about you know being lost in uh, you know in a on a farm, not being able to leave for weeks, oh um, and and having to work, and just you know just really really bad stories of you know really people taking advantage of them, and the fact that they're here. Some of them may have been here illegally at one point. It's unfortunate that they take advantage of, of that fact and know that, you know, they probably won't call for help. They probably won't ask yep. for, for someone to come, you know, get them out of this bind because they're, you know, afraid of deportation. And so yeah. um, those things have happened. And, and, you know, I have 
um, a family of women that actually um, they're retired now and some of them work for you know social security and they've worked for for other places but they're you know their origin they're cambodian and and just last week actually we were talking about that and they were sharing stories with me you know from the all the different farms that they've been in where it it wasn't a good experience or they didn't get paid or you know they were taken advantage of and then they also shared stories you know from back home being in in camps and in labor camps and just these stories and they're so happy to work now and to be able to do this legally and to have a w-2 and direct deposit and be able to go buy a car now because they have pay subs and so the the joy that that i get such a joy just from seeing the joy on their faces that they feel safe coming to work they feel you know cared for they know that they're not going to be taken advantage of they don't have to you know sleep in a in a tent in such conditions so you know it really makes me happy that you know that that we've been able to cross over you know and bring some of these people into the legal market where they don't have to worry about their safety or about being paid um, and they have a peace of mind and they're just you know they're so happy to have a job and so when they come and they work for me they're so appreciative and that appreciation um, you know energy transfers so i would like to say that appreciation transfers into the plant as they're working the clients can see it and so you know it definitely helps me provide a better service but just to the, the part where we've been able to bring, you know, some of these people that come, were coming from the traditional market into the legal market and show them that, you know, things are getting better on, on every, you know, on, on, on kind of every level is, you know, it's really nice to see. Yeah, I have to agree. And that's, you know, I, I find that there's a lot of growers that, to your point, I mean, for the <laughs> Murder Mountain, they, they definitely, that was Hollywood, <laughs> uh, certain aspects, you know, but I think to your point, you know, there were a lot of those stories and a lot of frustration because people just simply weren't paid or I'm not paid. So you're not getting paid or, you know, if you want to get paid, you can't leave. You got to stay for the next turn, you know, and it's interesting because the true passionate growers, uh, the ones that aren't merely just doing it for profit or just doing it for money, the ones who really care about the plant and about the future of, of this industry as a whole and the freedom of the plant. You know, I love how they're really embracing. They're like, yeah, these people do deserve to get paid. I, one of my friends I grew up with, he was growing in uh, in the Triangle for years, and he, he just started getting PTSD from all the choppers and everything because he got in after after we got out of high school. So he is in during Prop 215, but, you know, it's still crazy up there on the hill. So he yeah. moved up to uh, to Medford, and one of his, his – uh, you know, one of his tremors, I think she cleared 45K last year. And it's it's not a 15 hour a day, seven days a week. This is on the books, legitimate grow operation. And this is what she does. And this is what she loves. And to your point, she's, um, she's actually from Thailand. And she is just a master with those scissors. It is insane. Like seeing how, and she just, oh, it's so hard to explain. But, you know, especially at those harder cultivars, it matters. And he has such an appreciation and respect because he knows that role is just as important as his role being the head cultivator as it is to his, you know, sales manager that's out there making sure that the product's being sold and, and being able to be consumed in a timely manner on the retail side. I mean, all of these individuals, they're all quintessential, right? They're all cogs or all links in that chain. Um, that really make it successful at the end of the day. So it, it's great to hear that, that, that you do have those folks that are so appreciative, you know, for the legitimate and legal opportunity, you know, that today's market brings. That's just awesome. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yes, it's, it's one of my, you know, one of the, the best ones in the world is, is, especially when they bring a friend, they have a referral and they're like, oh, Bella, she wants to work for you too. And <laughs> she's been trimming for so many years and, 
and, and to your point, the people that have been doing it for a long time and have the, the, you know developed the skill. I have I have one of my employees that you know because we, we do pay bonuses, and um, there's times where she averages like thirty dollars an hour. Oh my god! And I'm like, I can I could not you know do what she does, and she's just you know great at what she does. But she puts her headphones on, she works. And if I didn't force her, if there wasn't labor laws, if I didn't force her to take breaks or lunches, it'd probably be much more than that. Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? But it's some of the, I just on on our previous show that's what I was talking about. You gotta love what you do, you know. And if that's something you're passionate about, and it's able to reward you at the end of the day, because we don't. And this is something I live by and, and learned years ago. You know, we don't we don't live to work; we work to live, right? So. It's awesome to hear that someone has that energy and charisma and commitment, but obviously she's doing what she loves or else she wouldn't be that successful, you know? So, so awesome. Well, what's the next chapter? And and again, you know, whatever you're, you're comfortable with sharing, but I know you have some plans for expansion and um, again, I guess maybe we'll get into, for those that don't know, you know, when you do this, uh, you know, this business model that you do, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, um, bottling, you know, so wineries, rather they be in, gosh, now Livermore, Tracy, but up in Napa, Sonoma County, you know, some of them are estate wineries, which means they do everything on site and others bring in the resource. And so I know a lot of wineries that bring in what they call bottlemeisters, right? They come in and they essentially are, are processing that finished product. And so that's uh, in, in, in the traditional model, that's what you've been doing, right? You literally, I think you said like you guys have a trailer, you, you're, you're geared up, you go out there, um, wherever the project is, uh, you guys drop in, you're able to execute, but you're talking about taking it to a whole other level, right? Correct. So we, um, so one of the ways that I kind of describe us and, and someone said I should probably put this on our, on our website, although I don't know if I'm, if it's okay to, to use, but I kind of say, you know, we're the Molly Maids of weed. When oh, you wow. need a, you know, yeah. get the weed cleaned up, you call us, the team comes in, <laughs> we get the job done, we, we clean it up and then we're gone until the next time you need us. So um, we're, we're kind of a, a, a hybrid between, you know, Robert Half and, you know, where they call staffing many people. And so that's kind of what I aspire to be like is, you know, you, you need a team of people to come in and provide a service. We could provide the bodies, their skills, and, um, you know, and we're gone until the next time. Sometimes we end up staying a few months because oh my the project gosh. is so big. But um, the kind of a, the expansion, and you're right, so we, we also have a trailer, although we don't use a trailer that often because a lot of our clients have, are, have become – um, indoor, so you know oh, okay. now that you know there's still obviously a, a ton of outdoor, but there's some guys that are like, look, I don't have to be up on the mountain anymore. I could do this closer to home somewhere oh, in a warehouse. Nice. Yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. to live, you know, in a, in a tent. Um, <laughs> and then others just have the land and they're out there. So um, I think as it's, it's evolved, uh, we don't use a trailer as much, although we do still have it. It's been mostly going to like the indoor facilities or some of the ones that have greenhouses and they have a trim room. So it's been mostly just kind of sending the the teams out. But the um, the expansion, so we're, we're getting farther and farther into different kind of pockets of, of California, hiring, you know, field managers that can go out there and execute the way we do here in, in Northern California. But the next chapter is actually uh, starting our own processing center. And so uh, there's a lot of places that are tripling their canopy size, but their trim room is still a tiny little room that can hold maybe eight or 10 people, yeah. especially right now with social distancing. It's really hard to get the, the right number of bodies in there to, to do all of the trimming for all the products. And so some of them end up, you know, bottlenecking. And so we're, we're going to do a processing center. We've, uh, we're looking actually here in, in Tracy and San Joaquin County. We're actually looking up in Sonoma to partner with, with some people and set up a place where we could, you know, pick it up, bring it in in-house. We can bucket, trim it package it, label it, and then send it off to either, you know, to distribution from there. 
And that's kind of um, come out of out of a need from a lot of my clients. But I've also um, partnered and I've had quite a few conversations with other processing centers like Slow Canna, for example. Just last week, this week, we've been talking um, about how I can help support their business because they have so much work. They need more more trimmers, qualified and, and skilled trimmers, and they have multiple you know places you know in California. So even me me being able to support them with this business and sending trimmers, I'm finding that there's a lot of you know larger companies which is very similar in corporate America. You know, corporate America. You need a you know a, a call center team or a team in the mailroom or whatever it is. You call on and you outsource some of this work and you ask for a labor force to come in. And so that's kind of what this is becoming for me. Is anytime someone needs additional labor to support either a big project, if it's just a temporary influx, the, the need isn't always there. They can call on us and we can help support them. And so it's it's kind of morphed into a lot of different uh, opportunities for me. But the processing center really is the the, the next big thing and. Um, the name for that one is Prisa. So Prisa in Spanish is Prisa. Prisa means hurry. Yeah, Quick, get yeah. it done. Usually the Prisa, farmers Prisa. are, are the trimmers are the last thing that they're thinking about. They don't think about that way ahead of time. And they're like, Quick, hurry. Can you come tomorrow? Can you send me 10 to get the job done? And we're scrambling and trying to hurry to get a team together with trimmers to get it out there. So I thought that's a, a short little quick, you know, catchy kind of name for the warehouse so we can hopefully, you know, get it done in a hurry. <laughs> oh my gosh. So clever. So clever. And I know you were mentioning the, the Tracy triangle, right? Was that 585 and 205? I think it is right. Kind of that little. Yeah. 580 like, and 205. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what, a, what a great location, right? Cause I know you have been talking about expansion, which is awesome. And so it's great to hear people scaling up. It's all about the, the business model and that gives you access to up into SAC and Grass Valley, but obviously over across into the Bay and down down all the way to LA. It's really smart. I mean, that's smart. And you're talking about even diversifying the way that you're processing and the offerings that you have for your clients, which I think that's something that, you know, again, it's it's so funny because we're talking about efficiency and streamlining. And in, in my last podcast, we had conversations around that, you know, really just what can you do to continue to diversify? Because the death to, to any business can be, that's a way we've always done it. And I love how you're thinking ahead and going, okay, you know, my clients are scaling up. I need to scale up too. And I need to diversify what I'm offering, how I'm offering, but you're even saying where I'm offering and what I'm offering ultimately, you know, being those top elements. So are you able to speak a little bit more on, on how you're going to shift that model as well? Yeah, so, um, and, you know, you're, you're right, Tracy is the, the perfect, you know, location here. We have, um, you know, we, we actually had listed our house early in, like, January last year, and then when COVID hit, then the, the buyers ended up not wanting to buy our house, and I'm like, oh, oh God, we're going to be stuck here, and Tracy, we actually wanted to move back out to the Bay, because that's where all of our work is, yeah. and I said, yeah. I don't know, maybe there's a reason for it, and it was about 30 days later that I saw Tracy was going to pass, you know, the, their own, you know, regulations here. And so I started attending all the city council meetings and kind of helping to make sure that we were chiming in so that they're going to be written in a way that was favorable to us, not just kind of a, a, a cookie cutter approach to what other cities yeah. were doing. Yep. So I became kind of heavily involved. And so I ended up staying, moving back into the house. <laughs> and I stayed here and I thought, this is the perfect place because we've got the Safeway Distribution Center. We've got Amazon here. We have yeah. Big Barrel here. There's FedEx. All the distribution centers are here because it is such a good location. So, you know, having the, our transport vans, being able to easily get to our clients up and down California and, and bring it all here, I think is, you know, is, it would be absolutely perfect. We also own the air conditioning business, so having HVAC so we can control oh, yeah. the, the temperature yeah. and the humidity and all that good stuff is super important, especially because Tracy does get so hot. It gets, you yeah. know, 105 yeah. sometimes. And Definitely. so, you know, my husband and I already have, you know, 
the tools that are needed to, to help support the warehouse in that aspect. And so, um, you know, the, the warehouse was just kind of the next natural step for us. And, and then we started to look at, you know, sometimes when we quote a price where, you know, if it's 100% hand trimming for some of our clients, you know, not, not everyone can afford 100% hand trimming. Yeah. Or, or maybe, they, you know, the purpose of, of whatever it is that they're growing isn't going to necessarily, you know, go into the jar or, you know, wet trimming. Or, or they just, you know, they have a budget in mind. And so yeah, totally. um, some people are very, very specific in how they want the product trimmed. And they want, you know, 100% scissors and they don't even want you grabbing the bug. They want you to hold oh the my stem. stem. They want, you know, <laughs> and I shared with you before, we're not trimmers, we're trichome preservers. Oh my God. And so I love know. that. I love that. We got to get you on the Save the Turfs group. That's There's there's several of us in the industry that we have this. It's a non-for-prof, but it's savetheturps.org and that stt.org. We're all about that because so many people yeah. touching the plant, they don't recognize. Again, I... My listeners get tired of me talking about how, you know, the, the, you know, all those cannabinoids are great and they're the engine, but that those trichomes, they keep the, you know, the, the terpenes and that's what really is the, the steering wheel of the high. And so I love how you talked right. about that, but it's great to hear that you're bringing in the infrastructure and, and bringing in what's needed, which is that perfect climate. Because again, many people don't understand as soon as you disconnect this plant from its life force, as soon as you, you pull down. It's it's all about the plausibility of degradation. And there's three things. People always focus on one or two of them, but I always remind people it's the exposure to air, to oxygen, and that's obviously what causes oxygenation and eventually browning of the bud, which is not a bad thing because even when this bud oxidizes, you convert your THC to CBN, which I love cannabinol as a sleep aid. Mm -hmm. So I love how this plant just continues to surprise us. But you have obviously, you know, the, the oxygen, you have the light, but you have the moisture. And I love that you put an emphasis on that because having that perfect environment is pivotal. If you're in the middle, and for those that don't know, Tracy, I don't know, as a bird flies, what would you say from the bay? About about an hour, right? 45 minutes, an hour without yeah, about traffic? Yeah, an hour, so yeah. 45 to an hour. So unfortunately for you, that marine layer, it, it, it putters out, I'd say, even before Livermore, you know? So you guys are dealing with a drier, less humid environment. And most people would just be like, okay, so yeah, it's a little hot. Well, yeah, but that obviously, again, contributes to the condition of that plant. And especially to your point, if you're doing 100% hand trim, and you're right, I, I had to giggle because so many people, you know, hold it by the stem, which is hard to train someone. And they don't understand oh. in, until they have the, the sticky fingers, right? <laughs> until they've got trichomes right. all over their gloves. And it's like, yeah, you're taking our, our, you know, a very important element of our plant and also taking a very element of the profit off with your fingers. So holding it by the stem, mm -hmm. but it's imperative to have that environment. So I love hearing you know, you saying how much emphasis you're putting on the actual space that you're looking into, but then also the, the different opportunities for the customer, right? Because not all customers can afford 100% trim. I know even those that have had trimmers traditionally up on the hill, you're talking anywhere from 120 to 150 per pound. That adds up quick. And yeah, if, it, it does add up quick and right? it, gets, it does get hard for them. And, you know, once upon a time, I, I used to be anti-machine. There is no way that you would ever put our stuff through a machine. And yep. I would have never caught myself dead on a podcast with Green Bros. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, right? And here you are. But, and yes, for those who don't know, that is my, yeah, obviously where I'm at now is at Green Bros. <laughs> But yeah, right. Times change. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And but now I see that you know what there there's a place for 
a lot of different services. Everyone's needs are different, you know. So yeah. we have some clients that are big, you know, mega clients, and um, they use, you know, machinery. Similar, we talked about like in the wine industry, at one point it was 100% hand trim, yeah. and then they brought in these machines. Um, and then some of them have stepped to machines. A lot of them have gone back to hand trimming. And so I think it's, you know, it's a preference of, of, of method. And, um, and I want to be able to provide all the different types of services. We have clients, yeah. like I said, that are super picky and, and don't even want us to, you know, to really, you know, grab the bud too much. And then I have some that are a little more, you know, you know, focused on budget and we want to be able to provide those services, whether it's, you know, you know, all machine or machine with a little bit of touch up, you know, are you going to bring it in bucks? Is it not going to be bucks? We just yeah. want to be as helpful yeah. as we can. If we have, you know, and, and a lot of them don't have, don't have, you know, the capital to purchase machines. Yeah. So if we could provide the service and now it be, everything becomes accessible, all of the service become accessible to the growers to where they have a choice in all the different services and how, their cannabis is treated, how it's processed, you know, what the end result is going to look like. And they have, you know, a list that they can look at and say, I want this, this, and this, and have the trust and know that we're going to do a good job and we're going to, you know, give it back to them, you know, looking in, you know, whatever, you know, condition that they were asking us to, to you know, send it back in. So yeah. it, it feels good to, to know that we can offer those different types of services. It doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not a, you know, one size fits all, you know, oh, type of sure. industry. Everyone's got different needs and preferences and, the way that they like things done. And, and, you know, I guess it's not for some, it's, it's going to end up in a jar top shelf and for others it's not. And so we want to be able to, to help, you know, all of the different types of, you know, farmers out there. Yeah. And I think that's great to hear. And, and you touched on something even more. So I think a lot of individuals still don't realize is it's not like you can just go as a grower. It's not like you can still just go to your local bank and ask for a loan. Um, even a personal loan, if they find out, you know, obviously they want to leverage something. If you're getting a personal loan, you have to give background on your on your job, your profession and what you do. And to your point, to be able to have a solve for these individuals that can't just go and, and take out a line of credit or, or go in and get a bridge loan to get them through the season uh, until payday. I mean, this really is a big deal. This is a solve that can make or break some of these these growers, especially ones that have already spent their life savings on their license or on mm-hmm. on their their cultivar, you know, on their on their their actual plants themselves, um, and all the elements that are tied to the grow side of the operation. So again, I think it's awesome. I think it's great that you really are filling a void that you know technically is above and beyond just to oh we need help tripping. I, I think that's just one element of the business model you know for again for the individuals to understand as far as the service you bring so that's great well what do you as far as next steps i think will be the last question i love asking this of individuals that have been tied to the industry both in traditional and in the legal space where do you think as far as federal and, and I guess we would technically have to go through descheduling or deregulation before straight legalization. But do you see something happening sooner than later based on the, the current events and news? I definitely do. I think I think it's kind of um, I think there's been a shift and, um, on, and with a lot of different things. But I think they're all somewhat you know interrelated. I think um, like we we're talking about, like plant medicine and kind of looking at Western medicine and yep. it's it's becoming more acceptable now and people understand that there's a lot of benefits. And I think there's just been a shift, um, you know, in, in politics. I think a lot of people are uh, willing to look at things differently and they're questioning a lot of beliefs. So yeah. I definitely think, yeah. and there's other countries, you know, Mexico just jumped on. There's a lot yes. of other countries. We were talking about that. Like, hey, you look. know, geeking and, out. <laughs> um, I know in, in our conversation, last time that we spoke, I know we kind of went off on a tangent just about plant medicine and kind of how in yeah. ancient times, plants you know and the women were the healers 
And it's almost like I think we're kind of coming full circle in Oakland now. You know, the, the, the mushrooms are legal now. They're, you know, a little more available. And so I think I think we're just kind of coming full circle and we're um, looking to heal, I think, in so many different ways. And I think the legalization, I think it's definitely going to come sooner than later. And I hope it does because I'm, you know, I'm excited about expanding into other states. I mean, I, I could do it now because it's not like I necessarily transport it, but it would be great if we could have a mega compound somewhere and I could, you know, transport product and, and bring it from, you know, whatever state I wanted to over into our, you know, our mega processing center. Yeah. That would be ideal. But I look, I really do look forward to those days because, you know, it's kind of like enough is enough. There's too many people that have, you know, rotted away and life, lost their entire oh life gosh. sitting in prison yep. for the plant. And it's just so unfortunate. And I think it's kind of, yeah, I think the, the war on drugs is, has been over for a long time, but the, but it's not, but you know, it's not over. <laughs> it isn't, it isn't as long and, uh, no. to your point, it's such a tangent, but the, the privatized, you know, system that is around the penal, uh, you know, the penal system here in this country and, and to your point, over 60% and obviously not all cannabis, but over 60% of people incarcerated, incarcerated uh, for drug related crimes. And then the fact that, again, I tell people the war on drugs weaponize this plant towards the minorities and it's minorities across the board. It's, it's Hispanic, African-American, Asian. It's, it's been something that has, um, it's gone on for too long. And I agree with you. And this is where the, the not activists, but, but where, you know, the advocate comes out in me and just, I agree with you. The, the time has come, you know, led us to the tradition. You said it so well. I, I think mother nature has many of the answers of what we need. If we actually went back to nature and didn't have all the synthetics and all these GMO and all these things and what we consume, we probably wouldn't have as many health issues in the first place, ironically. But um, right. I'm looking forward to that too. I'm with you. And then Mexico, we talked about that. I was so stoked. I, I think it was right around the time that I posted up on my LinkedIn I just want to put it into perspective for people because while Uruguay was technically the first country to legalize uh, as a country, Canada was technically the second. Everyone gave Canada so much attention. And then like you and I were discussing, Canada, okay, that's fine. Canada is the second largest landmass to to Russia. I get that. And, you know, you look at that and then you find out the population is 36 million or approximately 5 million less than here in California. Okay, now look at Mexico, and no one should underestimate Mexico. It's one-fifth the size of Canada, but yet has 100, over 130 million people in that country. That That's a big deal because that's a big country, and, and Mexico does have so much to offer. And I know your ties there, and we talked about what your long-term plan is, and, and even us, you know, focusing on that market as well. But I think that's a good example of where a country can go, right? Because I love how not only are they now moving in and, and doing the framework around legalization, which has taken them some time, understandably, a pandemic happened. So it's it's taken a few years, but I love how they deemed the plant being illegal as unconstitutional. That was something that, I don't know, yeah. it just really, I was like, my gosh, Mexico has their shit together. California, let alone this entire country, can't st- stop and admit something like that. Like you're you're making literally a plant. And I know, Again, there's both sides in the industry. Some people don't like it when you say it's just a plant. Others, you know, are cool with it. But it is a plant. It's it's it doesn't have to be processed. It doesn't need any chemicals to uh, create the end result that people are looking to gain, 
you know, it's literally just something that anyone can plant in their backyard, can do even a half-ass job at trying and curing, and they'll still be able to get the rewarded medicine out of it. Just like right. you and I talked about ginseng, turmeric. There's so many other natural mm-hmm. remedies that you and I both embrace, and it's not dissimilar. And you talk to like my friend Kitty over in, in Thailand, and, you know, she's like, this is something that our elders they have it in their backyard along with those other plants and they pick it and go, oh, okay, I'm going to mulch this up and use it uh, to numb my gums because I have a toothache or to help with a headache. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're using it in that medicinal fashion. And I love how we went on. That was just another connection where it's like, yep, she gets it. <laughs> she, yeah. she knows what's <laughs> up, you know? So again, just awesome. Well, it's so great, you know, obviously to catch up and, and hear what you have going on. Obviously, I look forward to continuing and working together and, and getting to go after it. Um, you know, I guess one last thing, even beyond, you know, the, the question around federal legalization is if it's okay to ask you, what are you currently consuming? Is, is there a certain cultivar or a latest cultivar that has just really knocked your socks off? Because that's another one I like to ask friends. You know, I'm, I'm not too much of a smoker when it comes to flour, but if I get my hands on some red Congolese, that is my absolute favorite. Um, the tinctures for me, the, the full spectrum, broad spectrum tinctures oh, yeah. are my go-to that I, I you know, keep on, on my nightstand and I carry with me um, sometimes when I'm out and about because it really does do wonders for me. I love the tinctures. Oh, um, you know, you. At, at some point, I think, you know, cannabis will be a little more socially acceptable, but right now it still isn't in, in a lot of areas. So even the smell of, you know, someone smoking still yeah. bothers people, yep. you know, That's unfortunately. True. So um, I'm kind of careful about that and, you know, kind of, you know, just do it at home. But the tincture is, is yeah, that's my go-to. I, yep. I absolutely, it absolutely changed, you know, changed my life. I, if I if I'm uh, gonna smoke a flower, red Congolese. <laughs> we all those exceptions. I have to admit too, and even in light of the pandemic, I've shifted away from traditional consumption. And even then, I, I used a dryer vape. You know, I'm a, a G pen or a Firefly two guy. And um, even with that, to your point, I, I shifted to edibles, and um, I grew a. It's actually. I called a headstrong haze, but it was an iteration of a jacker about last season. And uh, man, it works out perfect as an edible. Um, but there's definitely those few. I'm like an Acapulco Gold or Northern Lights. I'm an old school guy mm-hmm. when those come along. But I love the tinctures. I'm with you too. Fiddler's Green. Oh my gosh. Props to those guys um, up on the hill. They've got both a raw and a rogue tincture. I love how they call it that. So the raw tincture is just that. You know, it, it hasn't um, obviously, you know, been been taken to the point of uh, THC versus THCA, but you have the raw on one side if you just want the healthy attributes of the plant. And then on the flip side, you have the rogue where, okay, it's been decarboxylated and you're going to get that little lymph out of it too. But even then they do like a 18 to one, four to one, one to one. And there's something about those tinctures and you just throw it under your tongue. And I laugh because, you know, rather be Disneyland, or I think it was Disney altogether a few years ago. I remember when I was at Weed Maps, uh, Disney had announced, you know, we're, we're not allowing cannabis in Disney. And I'm like, okay, that's trivial. Because to your point, there, this is one of the few things that you can consume <laughs> from tincture to transdermal to suppository to edible. I just laugh. And I got on a plane. I was flying back from uh, Vegas last week and the gal was sitting next to me and you know now they have to announce i find this so funny now they have to announce on the plane you know you cannot consume your own alcohol for personal consumption on on the flight that's not legal yada yada 
and I lean over right. to the woman next to me. I'm like, if I need anything to relax, I've got cannabis. She's like, you're telling me I had an edible an hour before I got on this flight. <laughs> I just started laughing. <laughs> I'm like, this is so the 21st century. There's no stopping it now. I mean, literally, it's so go time. And, and the, the train has officially left the station, I think. So that's one thing for us to consider with where the level of legalization can come and when it can come in. Um, again, you've been around it the whole time. I've been around it as far as this evolution. So um, it's definitely something I think for us to keep in mind. Any any other right. thoughts, any other final words before we wrap up? This has been great. I mean, we can go on forever. That's That's a classic thing. Yeah, I think I asked last time, I think we were going on almost two hours, and I'm like, are, are you set for time? Do you have time? Because we could have talked forever. But, um, I, you know, I think it just speaks to, like I said earlier, the community and the people that get it, get it. Um, and I had mentioned before, you know, the people that went, you know, corporate to weed and then those that have gone weed to corporate. And, you know, when you get it and you understand, you know, all the different struggles, but the beauty inside of it also, I think that's where, you know, kind of the, the like minds, you know, come together. But, you know, no, I appreciate you so much, and thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it too. And again, I think, like you said, I remember the last time we were catching up, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I think my noon can't, you're like, are you okay? Are you safe? And I'm like, yeah, my noon canceled. We're all good. <laughs> so yeah, that was a welcome surprise. Oh my gosh, it was. So yes, we will definitely keep in touch. And I look forward to, again, what the future brings. One thing we like to do is always circle around with our guests. So if it's okay, um, I'm sure by the holidays will be perfect time for us to catch up. But I'd love to have you back on the show again and just kind of see how things are progressing for you and, and for your family and for your, for your company. And I know in many instances, your company is your family. So... Thank you again for your time today, Bella, and definitely look uh, forward to catching up in the future. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll come with some more funny stories for you, like the pig feet and chicken liver. Like oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever that book comes Thank out, you. I know you got to drop, you got to share this. We'll, we'll post that up as soon as the book comes out. We'll definitely post it up. Thanks okay. again, Bella. Thank you. All right. And for all of our listeners, I definitely want to thank all of you again for joining us in this week. It's always phenomenal every week for us to catch up together. Take care of yourself and each other. And remember, it's all about good vibes. Until next time, I'm Lance Lambert. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.